0: Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, Matt. i uh, doing well. Good, good.
0: Okay. Folks, we're uh, joined today by uh, David Cates at Danson Mines and also um, John Cash at UR Energy. We're going to talk a little bit about the Uranium uh, macro today. A lot going on. And uh, guys will also give us an update on where they are with their businesses. I, I, we better kick off Niger. David, what's happening over there? I mean, on top of Russia, Ukraine, what's this going to mean for the market?
1: Well, Matt, it's a pretty live situation, uh, so I'm always a little bit cautious on uh, commenting too much on it, but um, certainly reminding us that uh, the market has to process that uh, certain jurisdictions have uh, different kind of risks. And look, the reality is that this is not a new thing um, in mining, politics, geopolitics have always been an issue because the resources are in the ground, in a place, and um you know, I think in a way we've almost become a little bit complacent in our industry uh, until sort of more recent events in the last two years around where the resources are. But it's always been an issue because you always have the types of risks around uh, you know, nationalization, war, or in this case, um, you know, changing leadership that's maybe unexpected. So um, it's it's not new, but I think it is really notable because right now we have so many uh, future customers and utilities already realigning uh, their supplies with Russia and one of the places they might have been looking to shore up some of that supply would be a country like Niger. And you know here we have uh, you know a possible government change and uh, even announcements and you know, I don't know how confirmed these are around supply uh, of uranium out in Niger being restricted to Western countries. I mean that's all the stuff that a customer does not want to hear when they're thinking about how their maybe new contract with a developer in Niger might be helping manage their Russia risks. So it's it's really a, a really negative situation from a customer standpoint.
0: It is a negative situation. I don't mean to belittle it in any way, but there have been sort of 80 coups since the start of of this century. Uh, in, in Africa, normally most usually peaceful transitions. This one seems to have a slight edge to it in the sense that there's the kind of Russia factor uh, I- involved as well. I mean, John, you're you're down there in the U.S. You're you're quite you're kind of quite close to some of the uh, the, the the politics down there. I mean, what's the reaction been um, as far as you're concerned with whether it be U.S. customers in the shape of um, the utilities or even government?
2: Yeah, a bit guarded, uh, like Dave said, a bit of wait and see. We'll see what happens here. We'll see how France gets involved if they do or or if not. Uh, we'll see how the Russians get involved uh, with the Wagner Group. You know, they're lots of photographs online right now of people carrying russian flags i don't know how sincere that is how much of it's planted uh, i go back to the uh the movie from a few years ago uh wag the dog uh where you don't know what's true and what's not and i think this is a prime example but we'll see what happens in the coming days you know there are only 15 countries around the world that produce uranium at any uh, economies of scale and uh Niger is one of them, about 4 or 5% of global supply. doesn't sound like a lot, uh, but when you start to take a look at the Western supply versus Eastern supply, about 70% of world production comes from countries that are aligned with the East, not the West. And uh, by my unscientific math, about 80% of consumption is Western, not Eastern. So uh, there's a real dichotomy there that we've got to recognize and deal with. And uh, just as companies are trying, to, utilities are trying to move away from Eastern Supply, something like this happens, and it just throws more uncertainty into the market. So we'll have to wait and see how things play out. Well, and, and, and Matt, the, the thing is, like none of us wants to
1: see this work out uh, negatively. Um, none of us wants to see our customers get uh, jammed up with uh, you know uns- instability in, in Niger, but but it's hard to undo. The, the the anxiety and the risk that comes from this type of situation and it does take us back to some of the first principles of mining uh around geopolitics and risk and it's it's part of why our company is focused in canada i mean we've had international assets uh, we've been uh you know operating in places like mongolia and, and africa and and in the united states and and you know we, we think north america is a great place to be mining uranium, you might not love your government all the time, but the environment is stable. Uh, you know, we we are not uh, generally expecting any of the kind of risks that you'd see out of West Africa, whether it be in Niger or other countries. And those are the kind of things that you know customers just have to keep in mind. But it but it's not the kind of thing that we want to occur. You know, I mean, um, th- this could be very negative for the customers, and hopefully, it does work out peacefully. And hopefully, the companies that have projects there are able to navigate it successfully. It's not good for any of us, really, to have this happen. But I just think it's a really hard thing for the customer to like take out of their mind and and not have on the on the on the whiteboard of risks the way that they, they must today. They can't rub it off, you know. However, this works out, they can't rub off the risk of some of this when they're building their portfolios of uh, product that they're going to expect to buy
0: well absolutely I mean it represents whatever five percent of the market which doesn 't sound like a lot, but I think if, you know inflation at five percent felt painful well, not as painful as it does now but if it, 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 it is significant move and that kind of leads that you know perpetuates that conversation about east versus west as you said John regards to certainly around pricing uh, su- supply um, demand out of China I think you could usurp the rest of the market if, if, if not careful I think china uh, in the F- Financial Times this morning talking about them coming in and, and buying up a lot of different commodities for this energy transition that we need. So it, it's tense out there. I, I come back to the US though, um, John, if, if you don't mind, because you are there, you know, boots on the ground for us um, and, and talk about the the way that companies, not just, not just as um, Dave said, not just the way that customers view this, but the way that companies view this, you know, sometimes the best form of defense is offense. So, what have you been doing what you know will you do as a result of, of um you know situations like this
2: well yeah you know, i'll take a, a two two different stances here uh, talk about utilities what we're hearing from them and i'll talk a little bit about UR our energy and what we're doing but from our utility customers even before Niger, we were hearing a lot of comments from them of diversification we're looking at more north american australian exposure uh less kazakh less ooze back exposure, uh, spread out that risk. Because you never know what's gonna happen globally. And they have to have fuel, that's non-negotiable. They have to have it, Uh, there is no replacement for uranium. They can't burn any other metal. Uh, So they have to have that fuel. And so I think this will really just uh, enhance that. They'll look for more diversification, more stability, more uh, stable countries. Uh, But from our perspective, when you are energy, We like operating in the U.S. We love operating in Wyoming. Uh, No coups in Wyoming, no coups in the U.S. Transportation's not a problem. Every once in a while, the road gets shut because of a snowstorm, and then two days later, uh, you know, we're back delivering again. Uh, So we love the jurisdiction. It's a well-established regulatory regime. So uh, we, we like being here. We like North America very often uh, we get asked about M&A strategy. What what are you thinking about when you look at acquisition? And number one on the list, if it's not a safe jurisdiction with a well-established regulatory regime, we're not interested in. Uh, I often say if my guys have to carry an AK-47 to do exploration, it's off the list. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we don't look in Africa. Uh, There's a high degree of risk not in every country in Africa, but in many of the countries in Africa. So we really shy away from it. We we really like North America. We like uh, first world countries, safe, good jurisdictions. It's safe for us, and that makes it safe for our customers. Yeah, I mean, it's look the
1: uh, the customers need fuel, and so um, in terms of what what the companies have been doing. I mean, John's company, Your Energy, they they're, they're a great story. I mean, this is a company that's. Um, Successfully operated a low cost ISR operation in the United States. I mean, I just tick, tick, tick. Right? Um, we're we're aspiring to successfully operate a low cost ISR operation in Canada. Uh, both of our companies have been working during tough years to be able to be there for the customer when they need us. And uh, you know, John's on the on the is basically restarted, and we're we're on the cusp of. Uh, wrapping up permitting and be able to start construction because you know the need from the customers is not is not just in the near term it it extends for for many many years and so our timelines uh, thanks to the work we've done over the last five years uh, which is when most people were doing nothing uh, because they couldn't justify it um, we're, we're we're in the range of being able to produce in the 2027 2028 range And that's much closer than than you think, Um, because if if a company wasn't doing the kind of work John's done and your energy is done, then even a restart of a past producing operation uh, doesn't happen overnight. And we're actually starting to get pretty close to a place of convergence between our new build timeline and restart if companies aren't actually investing the time and the capital to tangibly move their assets towards restart. Those take time. Uh, so you know, our, both of our companies have been pretty aggressive because we, I think you know I don't want to speak for John, but I think it's because we could, because we could justify it, because our projects were good enough that before the market improved, uh, we we're able to invest in them and position them so that today and in the coming years we can be a good supplier. I think the geopolitics has come to us a little bit in that you know while we've advanced because we got good projects. The market has also now said, oh my God, we need these good projects and good jurisdictions, and we're starting to be really become premium products for the, for the customer because we're advanced and we're in the right place with the right cost profiles. Again, just tick, tick, tick for the customers.
0: It's tick, tick, tick for the customers, but uh, in the sense that you're ticking boxes, but it's also tick, tick, tick in terms of time because you've got countries like Belgium, Poland, Sweden, most of Europe waking up to the fact that nuclear is an okay subject to talk about again, it's an okay uh, subject. Um, to include in the green taxonomy of, of energy transition. So um, it's going to be very competitive out there. That's, now, that's good news for you. It's good news for your shareholders. So uh, as far as uh, you're concerned, John, if we look at the way your messages t- messaging to shareholders, um, it, it would be what? How should they read the market at the moment? Because it's been a long time coming. Prices at what fifty seven seventy five for a U three hundred eight. You've got conversion at forty point seventy five and enrichment U F six at you know one eight eight. So it's really starting to get there um, at the moment. So where should they be looking? What should they be thinking, John?
2: Yeah, it gets back to a couple of things. Uh, Looking at the global risk geopolitics there, that could be what really moves the needle very quickly in the coming months in the next year or two. And so it's hard to predict. But that could really drive prices uh but importantly for us because of that companies have been coming to us and saying hey we want lost creek back up and running we would need access to that low cost safe production so they've been willing to sign up contracts with us uh, at above a spot and above long-term pricing so uh, we've enjoyed that but i think beyond that looking further out uh, years from now basic supply and demand as you've touched on carbon-free energy So many countries around the world are moving to that now, not just with uh, renewables, but obviously with nuclear power. So many countries are building out. uh, China is the gorilla in the room, 150 reactors in the next 15 years. Uh, That's an insane number, Uh, but they are meeting those goals. Uh, But so in the long run, when we get beyond geopolitics and any influence there, uh, the demand is far outpacing the supply. And we expect to see continued increases in pricing going forward based on just fundamental supply and demand. So that's what we share with uh, our shareholders, I'll make them aware of that, that, uh, that demand is there. The demand we expect to increase and the pricing to go with that. And as Dave indicated, uh, Dennis and us, we've got properties that can produce low cost. And uh, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to ramp up that production, move into more production over at Shirley Basin uh try to get our uh, production profile up over 2 million pounds a year so that's what we'll share with uh the people that are part of our registry well and Matt you know you know what I'm talking about a little bit is um just the integrity
1: of the companies too um you know the the market for uranium has improved significantly and so we've seen an influx of a number of new entrants and uh at the end of the day like we all have some exposure to to the uranium price but you know we we think the, the right, and the most levered sort of investment are these companies that will successfully transition from developer to producer and and re-rate and whether that's from a past producer back to producers same sort of re-rate but but you know there's a there's quite a lot of things that have happened in the last few years around costs and so like we've just put out a, a feasibility study for for phoenix and a cost update on a pre-feasibility study for griffin which are both part of our wheeler river property and you know, it's 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 surprising to me um, what what information the investors have in in the space to to look at when they look at some of the companies out there, and we've just costed everything in twenty twenty three universe, right? So we've we've got inflation, we've got real costs done by a third party in a full in a technical report that will be filed shortly, and so this is great evidence for an investor to say, okay, what is the basis for their low cost profile? We, we're very transparent about that. You know, John's got, and and your energy has a recent operating track record with recent uh, performance that they can turn to. It's when you look at the rest of the space and you start seeing people taking, you know, projects that haven't done anything in over a decade um, or are referring to historical studies prepared over a decade ago. Like, to me, those are hallmarks of, look, these companies may have potential. It's not to say that they're, they're scams or anything like that. They have potential, but, but know what the risk is. And, and some of us have really invested significant amounts of capital in terms of de-risking assets. Um, and, and being able to be today in a place where our asset, in the case of John's, is turning on, and you've got a very reliable understanding how that's going to go because of their recent history. And in our case, really robust costing estimates, technical scrutiny done by a third party, that gives us great confidence around our numbers. I think that's, that's the kind of thing we're obviously promoting on the back of our study, is that like we have reserves that we've declared in accordance with forty three one oh one. Reserves have a demonstrated uh, economic viability. It's different than a resource. A resource is an estimate of pounds that you know are in the ground. What's the objective here? And the objective for our company is to take the pounds out of the ground, sell them, and convert them to cash. That's how we're going to make money in our company. To do that, you got to have the studies. you got to have the engineering plans. you got to have the details. And I just think investors right now with all the sorts of things and the projects and the companies that are out there, they do have to start scrutinizing that stuff. They, they, they
0: do. <laughs> they do, but they don't. And we've, <laughs> seen, we've seen that because I look at most people's charts since 2019. They just follow the market. Some companies have done Nothing. Nothing. And it follows the market for the same trend as yours. Now, obviously, you have you have certainly both of you. Fullness full
1: of time, Absolutely.
0: Well, that's where I'm going to go. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm going to go there. My you shine. Don't you worry. Um, which is, you know, you you do have to, it's business. It's, you're here to make money and you're here to make, you know, a lot of money. The, the, the biggest mar- margins are in your costs and what you're selling in it. But right now, people look at the kind of uncovered um, demand charts and they go, oh, that's quite nice. Um, there's not enough of this stuff. That usually has a very quick knock-on effect to the price at which, um, utilities will sign long-term contracts or, and even the, the spot price, which, you know, most people kind of look, look to some sort of uh, arbiter of, um, future success in the sector. So, um, th- those, those, those are the things which people look at today. So if we can just start down, down there. Obviously, uncovered demand at the moment is looking quite hairy from, you know, 2025 onwards. Um, and and what we t- everything we talked about today suggests that uh, things like Niger have not helped. Things like Russia Ukraine have definitely not helped. But there was already issues um, with developers, you know, professing X number of pounds in the ground, but the reality is they're a long ways away from getting it out of the ground. So, um, how how do you see the kind of the Western market? Um, I guess resolving matters when it comes. Can- to utilities have got to find these pounds. They've got to get this of six so they've got to get the conversion they've, they've got to get access to all of, all of the above um, pretty darn quickly and it's like the sector's not really kind of coming together quickly enough to solve their imminent problems. I mean am I wrong David?
1: Well no Matt you, you're you're right um, that is a real risk and, and and maybe to connect the thoughts I mean it's not to say that the companies that haven't done these robust studies and that you know have old histories and stuff it doesn't mean that they're not needed. Um, it, it's more a question of you know how, to, how are people valuing these companies and things like that. that. That's more where I go to it. But yeah, like there's there's some interesting math on the uncovered demands. Uh, you know, and our our math indicates that we need something like five or six MacArthur Rivers to to come to the market. I mean, MacArthur River is the largest and highest grade uranium mine in the world. It's 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 producing in the range of 10% of of annual demands. So, or annual requirements. So that's, that's not insignificant. I mean, to need five or six of those means that you will need many, many, and development projects for many years. Um, yeah, and, and, and outside of like, I think the minority, rare minority of projects that were able to advance over the last five years, before the uranium price started to move up, most projects have not been progressing positively. And there is a real risk that, um, the supply side will struggle, will struggle to actually, uh, meet, the, meet the needs. So it, it, it is a problem and, and a lot of those other projects will, will be needed. Um, but, but we can, I, I can tell you from our end, like it's quite a lift to take a project at the stage of even a pre-feasibility study and bring it to a feasibility study and now over the next few years to advance it to, to, to the point where we can start construction, like. Our, our team has grown, we've invested a lot of money in terms of building capabilities and, and being positioned to do that. It, it's, it's a lift that I think a lot of companies might struggle uh, with and, and that ultimately is positive for the companies that succeed in doing it, but um, it, it's, it's potentially quite a challenge from the supply side to, to actually get there because you know we don't have five MacArthur's to just do five mines. We're going to probably need something like
2: 20, right, to
1: be able to compensate for that when you look at the scale of most of the projects. Yeah,
2: and just to get on to that, I think 2007 is a great analogy. Uh, What can the mining industry do uh, when they have high prices? Look at 2007. Uh, We had spot prices then, uh, 2007, 2008, over $100 a pound uh, for a short term. And then you start looking, okay, how did the mining industry respond to that? And the answer is not very well very few mines came online. The ones that did are typically extremely small and not very economic, and they shut down very quickly when that price uh, declined 2008-2009 and that certainly post-Fukushima. Uh, so, uh, I think it's an um, improper way to think about it to say, oh, we're smarter now, we're going to be able to ramp up quicker, more mines will come online uh, this time around. I don't think so. I think you still have a lot of the same players involved. A lot of the same assets are still involved. There have not been a lot of significant discoveries in that time frame. So I, I have a hard time uh, distinguishing now from 2007 and the ability to wrap up. Uh, but further, so of Dave's point, um, a lot of the economic studies that have been done, a lot of the technical work that's been done, um, it's got to be done but a lot of it is using some old numbers. Uh, a lot of it's on projects that have not been economic, maybe even since the 70s. And so you have to scratch your head and wonder, can these guys really come online? And more importantly, can they come online economically? Are they able to sign contracts and sustain production in the in the long run? Uh, I would say, Fairly significant percentage won't be able to.
0: Well, not anytime soon, and certainly not anywhere near these these prices. Um, but you, you're right. I, I don't think we're any smarter than, than we were. I, there is the same old tired projects, and there are unfortunately some of the same old, old games being being played. So let's let's focus on um, conservative, considered, intelligent um, approach to how you build companies and how you deliver those margins. So you, that's why you two are here. So I mean, Dave, you we. It, that that's it you've got to make money on this stuff right okay once once the market momentum has subsided and people are meant to start delivering um and the rubber hits the road you've got to make margins to be able to pay for stuff because the cost of capital will kill most projects you've been quite i think really quite cute um over the past um in a good way uh in in the in the past um three four years the way that you have brought money into the company with the, the different sorts of facilities the different sort of you know, buy, buying of pounds etc um, was that did you did you know then it would work or did you hope it might be enough of a distraction to kind of bring some attract you know attraction to um, the, the company How, why, why did you do those things when you did them
1: yeah Matt they're, they're, they're all deliberate and, and and well thought out um, really assessing the cost of capital and developing structures that, um, in particular our physical uranium purchase. I mean, we raised significant amount of capital via equity and then bought physical uranium. I mean, that was, that was based on an appreciation that capital was present in the market and that our company would require significant capital to advance the project. And so that was a match, right? That capital's available and there's a capital need. What we didn't love was fixing the price that day and saying, well, you know, today's the day we need to raise $100 million because we have so much more de risking and positive stuff to, to do with our company where the value of our company should appreciate. And so that's what drove us to the concept of de risking our balance sheet by raising the money, but deploying it into an asset that had a similar leverage to our commodity as our underlying development assets with the purchase of physical uranium. And so it was designed to give us financial stability so that we could advance the asset with great confidence over the next several years and give us a a means to participate in our uranium market. And what it's become effectively is like a floating financing because the the proceeds from that financing change effectively every day when the uranium price changes. And so now it's not like we raised money at say $1.10 US because the uranium price has actually nearly doubled from, from what, when we issued that money. So, you know, if, if, if we were to double our share price and the math, isn't exactly like that, but it would be more akin to raising money at say $2 because, uh, the value of what we brought back is now double from, from what we brought in when we, when we initially raised that money. So, you know, that was just putting pieces together and understanding that we would have significant capital needs. And one of the key ingredients when you have capital needs is the availability of capital. And so, in in 2021, when that capital was there, we didn't want to ignore that. Uh, you know that that was that was really the focus on on how we raised that money. But again, it's all part of having a longer term strategy around advancing our asset, knowing our future needs uh, well in advance, and being deliberate, so that we knew that that need was there, and that in 2021 it was an opportunity to to. To actually address that need.
0: Right. And, and John, you, you've got a big cash balance, right? You, you've you've um, brought, brought that together as as well. Do things like Niger, and obviously the longer this Russia situation, Russia, Russia-Ukraine situation goes on, does that sort of change your kind of conservative approach to, you know, your focus on Lost Creek and Shelley Basin, uh, which we've talked about in, in the past? Do you look around and see some cash-constrained opportunities out there, which perhaps might be a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more ambitious um, than you say you were a year ago? Um, Or is it kind of, no, we've got a plan, we'll we'll stick to it now?
2: You know, we're we're a pretty conservatively run company. We're very careful with the cash. Uh, It's a cardinal sin to dilute our shareholders, so we do our our dead level best not to do that. And any time we need to raise, we always try to find the the cheapest capital that we possibly can. We're uh, quite aggressive when it comes to that. But when we look at other companies and potential for growth and uh, other assets, we typically don't play the pounds in the ground game. Uh, We play the pounds in the can game. And so there may be some opportunity here for acquisition of other assets, um, but they have to be quality assets, something that uh, we believe that we can bring into production either now or in the near term and be profitable and technically sound and in good jurisdictions. Uh, But- When it comes to deployment of capital, certainly we'll look at those things, but first and foremost is ramping up production at Lost Creek. That's well on its way. That gives us revenues. And then from those revenues, we don't have to go and tap the the equity markets then if we wanna make an acquisition. Hopefully we can do some or all of that acquisition from revenues from production, from our low cost mine at Lost Creek and then from Shirley Basin. So we're gonna continue to run fairly conservatively in that regard. And uh, do our dead level best to get that production up, get line of sight on revenue, use that as our capital uh, to advance the company through MA or uh, future production from our existing fleet.
0: And, and that's a reaction to obviously some of the mistakes you saw in the last cycle where you know, a lot of new entrants and with a lot of very average projects and a lot of debt, and a lot of value destruction. Uh, is, there, is it is it harking back to that or is, is it something yeah, that's else? A, it's
2: me? a strategy we've had in our company uh, since day one. Uh, and I think it's a reflection of our executive team, but also our directors. They have tremendous experience in the mining industry. Uh, we know the ups and downs. We believe the price of uranium is going to go up. Do we believe it'll perpetually stay up forever? No, it won't. <laughs> there will be ups and there will be downs, and uh, we're just trying to position ourselves uh, to ride those waves uh, over time. See, Matt. Um...
1: John Cash and your energy, they're, they're one of my favorite uh, USISR stories for for some of these reasons because like I think I think what, what I hear in 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 John here is that he he, he knows he's got a valuable asset. And so whenever you do an M A, we have the same problem. We get asked the question about M and A all the time. We care about NPVs rather than pounds in the ground. It's the same idea, pounds in the can. But when you have a valuable asset, it, it's sometimes difficult to pull off sort of the uh, you know, flashy M&A because you have to realize that whenever you transact, you're, you're, you're gonna be exchanging part of your company and your valuable asset in one form or another for another asset. And if that other asset doesn't bring you the same or greater value than what you've given up, then you've hurt your shareholders, you've diluted them. It's way easier to do M&A when you've got something that's of low value that may be overvalued in the market. It's much easier to do M&A like that's that's actually what you should be doing. So it, it's sort of a hallmark where you've got people where unless you have a synergy, a special synergy or something like that, like if you're just acquiring things to acquire things, it might it might call into question, you know, the the value you see of your own assets because you're giving up part of your company to get these other assets. Yeah, you've, so, you've hit the nail right on the head, Dave. Yeah, We're not
0: talking about any companies in particular here, just in general. I, I think a, you could apply that across world.
1: the mining industry. Like that—that that is the—that yeah, is important. the nature of it. Is that if you're if you have a valuable asset, sometimes it's difficult to actually pull off M and A if you don't actually have. A, a fundamental synergy
0: yeah and I, and I think we've seen a lot of m&a with companies that don't actually have anything uh, i'm not talking about in the uranium space i'm talking more broadly in, in mining as you are um where um you know the merger of, of two equals e- e- equally bad um uh, so ha- have been happening so um and the other thing where i was wanted to go with you david was um with regards to when you sort of Step back and say, "Look, okay, look where we were four years ago. Look where we are today, and we look at the uranium space. It's, it's still a tiny little pimple within the natural resources space, let alone the entire you know investing universe out there. Um, it feels it feels like, and I referenced it earlier about in terms of like the market needing to come together and have a sort of more coherent approach to how sort su- of um supplies the market. We've seen Cameco make a f- make a few moves." Um, And, you know, in terms of joined up thinking, you know, if you've got utilities, they want to, you know, potentially, I think someone said, we want to be able to have like, you know, a one stop shop where we can go to one provider for all of our needs, um, job done. Whereas at the moment, it's you know, fragmented, um, say the least. Do you you see any opportunities given this new environment where they've got this North American energy transition having money being made available uh, for critical metals and critical minerals, um, you know, receiving a little bit more of a positive, um, uh, you know, positive attitude in in the market as a whole. Capital could be available for some big ideas where you can provide a one-stop shop. Do... Do you see Denison or any other players in the market perhaps wanting to kind of step into that gap and maybe open um, yeah. the game somewhat? I,
1: I think there's a there's a, a real tangible barrier to to that happening for most companies. I mean, I think Camaco is, is has got an excellent story and they've they've done really well with this uh, Westinghouse transaction, and I'm really hopeful for them that it all closes uh, timely because the market loves it and they've been making it work. Um, really well for them uh, in terms of commercially uh, accessing different customers by leveraging the relationship with Westinghouse in the whole fuel cycle. Uh, but but it, it really is a significant barrier for the other players uh, and other companies in the sector to be able to try to replicate something like that. I think though there is quite a lot of room for uh, the developers and the, and the other s- smaller scale miners and producers to meet an, a different need that the utilities have. So, yes, some of the utilities like the idea of I can go and procure everything through through Camco. One of the anxieties some of the utilities have, though, is that they are procuring everything through Camco. And that, you know, we talk about diversity of supply from a geographic or geopolitical standpoint. There's, there's also uh, growing anxiety around concentrating contracts with just one commercial player. And so uh, many of the discussions we're having uh, are people saying, look, we, we were, would really like for Denison to be successful, to build a new project, offer low cost supply of uranium from the Athabasca basin so that we have more than one option in the Athabasca basin. And you know, I, I think there will always be a group. Every utility behaves a little differently, Matt. That's how it goes. Like some of them will buy EUP. That's what they want. They don't want to manage fuel cycles, other, other say, look. It's our responsibility to manage the fuel cycle we want to buy u308 that's never going to change there will be a a, a differing strategies out there but those that are buying u308 are definitely saying "I, i can't it's it's not in their benefit it's not to their benefit to only be able to buy u308 from cameco and they would definitely like to see other producers offer supply in canada i think they would be happy to have supply from the united states and australia but uh, there is a point where I think Cameco is, is almost saturated what they can offer on the U308 side. They've already gone out. They've already signed an enormous number of contracts. The utilities have uh, had to almost be takers of some of those contracts because there aren't very many other options. The utilities definitely are keen to see other Sources of supply outside of chemical.
0: Well, de- definitely. Look, I, I'm, I'm not advocating a monopoly. I'm, I'm advocating competition, but you know, ver- you know, vertically integrated competition across the board uh, for the for the West. Look, I'm, I'm just I'm just going kind to of conscious and maybe a few last words from each of you about your respective companies, and maybe just a thought from each of you about how uh, investors see the, the runway for the next sort of well, certainly till the end end of the year. Some some big conferences coming up September, October traditionally being you know points at which utilities make decisions but as price grinds slowly you know creatively towards you know a near incentive price for for a lot more developers um, it's like walking over a broken glass at the moment where when do we kind of what do we think about the next six months I mean John I'll, I'll start with you and maybe just finish off if, if, with a few reasons for um, investors to be thinking about investing in UR energy as well
2: yeah absolutely and first off uh... Really interested to see how the Phoenix project comes with Denison. That's of incredible interest to us as they apply in situ. We've been watching that closely, and we're really excited about that. We think they've they've been ticking all the boxes uh, to go back to that analogy as they've done different research on it, sets of research projects on it. So uh, we'll be watching you, Dave, to see how that comes out, and we uh, think you're gonna do really well, and so we're excited about that. But uh, you are energy. Uh, you know, we're uh, we consider ourselves a value play. In the space, we're not the biggest company, uh, but we have very low cost of production, and we're ramping that production up at Lost Creek. Uh, we're engaged in engineering right now for our Shirley Basin project, uh, hoping to make a decision on whether to ramp that up or not before the end of the year. We'll see where the market goes. More importantly, we'll see where contracting goes. So we're, we're well ca- well cashed up. Uh, the small amount of debt that we have remaining with the state of Wyoming, we'll have it paid off in uh, just about a year now. And so that's getting to be a very uh, low risk for us and uh, easily managed. So uh, we're excited about the future. Things are going really well at the mine site. And uh, we encourage uh, the viewers here to check out UR Energy, a great story. We try to keep it a very clean story. Um, Minimal debt, low royalties, low technical risk, low jurisdictional risk. And so that's the story that we're trying to maintain. Yeah. And, and Matt, I guess on our side, um,
1: look, we've had a very eventful last few years advancing Phoenix through uh, technical de-risking. And just earlier this summer, we announced the results of our feasibility study for Phoenix, as well as a PFS update for the Griffin deposit. And as John notes and appreciate John's confidence and following along with us, um, you know, Phoenix really is now positioned to be the the first ISR uranium mine in the Athabasca basin. And to offer costs that compete with the best in the world and you know, and as, as low cost as some of the best assets in Kazakhstan. So it's it's a hugely exciting time for our company, having come through the feasibility study, confirmed excellent results, uh, all third-party independent QP'd, and now transitioning to the detailed design and engineering phase and del- delivering on the final stages, stages of the permitting process. And so uh, you, you certainly can follow along for for process uh, progress on, on on the project development front for Phoenix, as we work towards uh, you know construction decisioning around that twenty twenty five timeline, but also our other assets. You know, with our success at Phoenix, it's given us great confidence to move forward. And so we are active in the field at Waterbury Lake right now, working on the THT deposit, which is also an ISR uh, potential project. And we're working together with Arano, which is, you know, French, uh, state owned, uh, giant in our industry. And, uh, we're operating a, a project uh, called Midwest, uh, with them, we own 25%. They're our majority owner and, and we've got a program on this year to study Midwest as an ISR project in the Athabasca basin. And, uh, we don't have any economics out on that, uh, but there is the potential for us to deliver a PEA by the end of the year or early into next year. Uh, following on a concept study that we completed, uh, late last year, beginning of this year. And, and it's, it's, it really has some exciting potential as an ISR project. So we do have multiple assets pushing forward at a very exciting time. Uh, and on the cusp of of becoming that next large-scale, low-cost producer in the Athabasca Basin. Okay,
0: gentlemen, I'm um, um, John, John Cash, your Energy, David Cates of Denison Mines, two uh, companies we like. Certainly the Crux Index scores them highly um, on a fundamentals basis and uh, growth ahead for both of them. So uh, do take a look at those folks. And, uh, guys, thanks very much for today. Yeah, thank you, no,
1: thanks, thanks, John.